Good morning, guys. My name is Cody, and I get to be the pastor um, here at the Table Church. And today is the third Sunday of the month. And one of the things that we like to do here at the Table is um, give a monthly finance update. Um, so this is not going to be a long, boring sermon um, on um, finances, but we do want to be open and transparent about where we're at um, as a church and what um, we have done, how much we've spent. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and jump into this. Our budgeted tithes and offerings for um, the month of April was $15,725, and our actual tithes and offerings was a little bit less than that, $13,755.68. We are a church plant, so that means that we still receive outside support, Mullins Baptist Association in Duncan, Oklahoma or Stevens County in Jefferson County, Oklahoma, um, supports us. They're the ones who sent us out to plant this church, and they still support us, believe in what we're doing, and they sent us $2,083. Um, so altogether, our budgeted income for uh, the month of April was $17,808, but our actual income was only $15,838.68. Now, the good news is we spent less than we took in. We spent... 15, our actual expenses was $15,624.53. Now, we are also a generous church. We like to give money to help plant churches um, in the valley and all across the globe. So we give 11% of our income away through um, the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention to Acts 29, um, to Thrive, and to Mullins Association as well. And that total comes to $1,513. Now, here are the next steps that were taken in the month of April. So we baptized two of our friends. We had that baptistry uh, tank up here on the stage twice in the month of April. So we baptized two of our friends. Um, we had three that got involved in serving on teams that said, yes, we want to throw in. We want to use our, our, our talents and our gifts and our abilities to help build this thing, and they have done that. We didn't have anybody new to groups, but we did have six first-time givers. We had six new people that said, yeah, we believe in this thing, and gave money um, to this church. And then we had one brand new member. And to be a member here means that you are a believer. That means that you have, uh, and that's marked by baptism. You are a learner. That's marked by being in a community group. You are a server. That's marked by being on a team serving somewhere. And you're a giver, meaning that you have planned regular giving. So we had one person that said, yeah, I'm doing all those things. I'm in. So awesome. And we've already had like three new members turn in like covenants for the month of May. So here's the thing. If you are new here, um, we do not expect you um, we don't expect our guests to help us pay our bills. That would be weird if you showed up um, at someone's house and then they just handed you their electric bill. We're not going to do that, okay? We don't expect you to help us pay our bills. But if you are planning to stay here, um, dedicate your kids on this stage like we did last week or raise your kids here, um, find a spouse here like has happened um, recently, um, we ask that you... Um, replicate that grace and generosity that Jesus has shown to you and by um, giving graciously and generously um, to help us plant this church and um, win more of our friends to Jesus. Jesus' grace and generosity toward us is not meant to terminate on itself. The goodness and kindness that Jesus uh, shows toward us is meant to be shown to others. And one of the ways that we get to do that is to help fund the mission of Jesus 
here in a local church where you regularly attend. And we hope that this place would be um, that for you. So we we want you to respond to Jesus, not just um, to me. Um, We want you to give because you want to, not just because you ought to. And so what we would ask you to do is prayerfully consider that. Um, If this is a place you're going to continue to to come, then, then make a plan. Build it into your budget the same way that you would buy a car or a house. Make a plan, budget for it, make it regular, make it first. And then um, you can do that by visiting our website, um, which is thetablephoenix.com. Um, click on the giving link, set it up that way. Um, or you can write a check and put it in the giving box at the back. And um, if you want a contribution statement, put it in the envelope. and We'll make sure that um, you get credit for that. So um, with all of that said... Now let's dive into our new sermon series on the book of Colossians um, called Supreme. And I'm going to go ahead and ask if you would stand back up. We're going to get your exercise in today. Um, Third Sunday, you can just go ahead and count it. You're going to get your squats in on third Sundays, okay? So uh, um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'll read the text and then I'll pray for us and then we'll, we'll jump into this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we um, open this letter up um, to the Colossians, God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that we would recognize that um, Paul had never been to this church, that Paul um, did not plant this church, that these people were... Um, largely strangers to Paul, and yet he writes them this very powerful, um, heartfelt, encouraging, um, challenging letter. And God, I pray that we would receive it the same way that this church received it, that God, we would receive it as the authoritative word of God, and that we would seek to bring our lives in line with your word instead of trying to bend your word around our hearts, our desires, our motivations, our schedules, our agendas, but God, that we would bend our lives around your will and your word as the um, Colossians were encouraged to do as well. God, we pray that we would be in Christ. We recognize that we're not in Colossae, but God, we pray that we would be in Christ in our neighborhoods. And we ask it in Jesus' good, good name and for his fame and glory. Amen. All right, you may have a seat. We are so glad, again, that you guys are with us. Um, If you came in a little bit late, my name is Cody. I get to be the pastor here, and um, we are starting a new series um, called Supreme, going through the book of Colossians. So um, today, we're going to just take some time and just kind of define some terms, okay? There, There are some terms that are said here, apostle, saints, brothers, that kind of, like if you've been in church for a while, that, that's probably okay. You, you probably, you, you recognize what's going on. But if you're brand new um, to the Christian faith or brand new, like those words may not carry the same um, meaning or connotations to you that they meant. So we're going to define our terms. So um, I asked my wife, Lori, um, I said, when did you come to realize like, how the Bible was written and what an epistle was and, and what saints were. How, how did you come to realize all that? She said, well, when I was in eighth grade, I was being homeschooled, and one of the um, classes that we had was uh, they took us through the book of Acts, and I got to see 
how, like who Paul was and, and what Paul did and, and how this letter was written and understanding. He goes, I, I just got to learn about Paul. And then also, we, I went to church camp. And one of the things at church camp, they, they taught us you know, just some basic Bible stuff. So um, hopefully, for many of you, I'm hoping that today will be um, one of those types of moments for you that you'll kind of understand and get some the foundational stuff. And if you are already a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, and you say, well, this is elementary, that's fine. Um, just hang with us. We'll get there. But hopefully it'll be good um, for you too. I'm, I'm hoping that this will help you understand much of the New Testament. So we're going to answer three basic questions today. We're going to say, who wrote this epistle? Who was it written to? And what was it for? Okay, who wrote it, who is it written to, and what is the purpose of it? So those are the three major questions that we want to um, look at and answer today from this. And we're kinda, this is going to kind of be an introduction saying this is what's going on at Colossae. And then apply that to our lives as we walk through it, okay? So, first of all, who wrote the letter? Who wrote this letter? Um, in some of your Bibles, or maybe you've seen this, um, you, you may see that uh, uh, it, it's called, instead of letter, it says epistle. Um, and some people are like, what is an epistle? I like this story. Um, you know, a little kid in Sunday school class was asked one time, what are the epistles? And his answer was, those are the wives of the apostles. Um, if, I was in, if I was teaching that class that day, I would totally give that kid a high five. I'm not because he's correct, but just for the answer, okay? Um, but the epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Um, so, but that does bring another question, like who, who, are, who are these guys? Because it says right there, and you've got to understand that in the New Testament, the way that they would have written letters, I think is a better way of writing letters or writing emails than what we do today. We fire off emails, and then at the end of it, we tell them who it's from, right? In this day, they said who it's from at the very beginning, which is good because that at least gives you some context of what you're reading. You know what I mean? Like how many times have you gone and you've read a letter and then you see who it's from and then you go back and read it? You're like, oh, okay, well, this makes, this makes different sense. Or a text message or something, you're right? I don't know if text message would be the same way. But anyway, um, so it says, it, the Paul writes this. He says, Paul and Timothy. So who were Paul and Timothy? Well, Paul is an apostle. Paul was an apostle. Now that brings up another question. What is an apostle? Not the husbands of the epistles. Not the husbands of the epistles, but a, an apostle. This comes from, from a, a, a definition out of one of my um, study, study um, tools that I have. It says an apostle was an envoy, and an envoy is like a messenger or representative or an ambassador of Jesus Christ commissioned directly by him or by other apostles, normally someone who had been taught directly by Jesus and who is invested with the authority to speak on his behalf. So the Apostle Paul, if you, um, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, I'm going to tell you if you don't. The Apostle Paul, his name was Saul, and he was a Pharisee, and he hated the church, and he was literally riding around from town to town with, with papers from the Sanhedrin, permission slips, in order to persecute Christians, to wipe out this false religion that had sprung up in Judaism. 
He hated Jesus, he hated the church, and he was trying to kill it. And Jesus himself, after he had died, buried, was risen again, had ascended to heaven, Jesus came back from heaven and said, I'm going to get that guy. But not the way you think he would get him. He saved him. He came down, he blinded him. How, aren't you glad your salvation story didn't start that way? I know how I'm going to get his attention. I'm just going to make him blind for a little bit. He blinded Paul. Saul was his name at that time. He fell off his horse. Everybody else around there is blinded because they can't stand the radiance of the risen, returned, glorious Jesus coming back. And immediately Saul says, Who are you, Lord? Like he calls him Lord before he even knows who he is. And he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, homie. Homie's not in the original text, but the other part was. He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuted, and I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my sake, and I'm going to make you a missionary to the Gentiles, which Paul would never have been interested in doing. He says, go to this town, go to this street called Straight. There you're going to find a, a, a disciple by the name of Ananias, and he's going to lay hands on you, and you're going to get your sight back. Now, meanwhile... He has to go tell Ananias what's going on. And when he goes and tells Ananias, Ananias is like, wait a minute, hold on. You're sending that guy to my house? I've heard about him. He's like wiping people out. Are you sure about this, God? Now, time out. How many times have you said something similar? Like God's told you to do something and you said, God, are you sure about this? Let me just ask you something. Do you think God ever says something that he's not sure about? He never does. He never says anything he's not 100% absolutely positive about. Which bears on this letter. Because this letter, as we read it, these are the words from God. From a guy, through the pen and through the mouth of a guy that he saved radically and got a hold of his life and he made it his life's mission to take Christ everywhere he could. And he's writing to these saints, which we'll explain that in a little bit, in this town, and he's encouraging them to grow and mature in Christ. In Colossae. So, this faith gets passed down. Now, for I don't know what your story is. I would encourage you, though, to think through, as I'm telling you my story, to think through who it was that invited you to church. Who was it that invited you to follow Christ? For me, it was sixth grade. There was a kid by the name of Joe Luna. I texted Joe this morning as I was thinking about this because I thought, I'm going to ask these people to do this. I'm going to do the same thing. I texted Joe and I said, thanks for being faithful, Joe. My life is radically different because of your faithfulness as a sixth grader. He invited me to church. Don't ever think that the ministry of your kids and your kids' invitations are unimportant. My life is different. Could we not say that this church is planted because a kid that you've never met, well, he's not a kid anymore, he's a grown man, but a kid that you have never known invited me to church. Don't think that it's unimportant. He invited me and my life 
took a totally different direction. So I texted him this morning, and he goes, I'm actually sitting in church right now. Who is this? <laughs> and then I said, it's Cody Devers. To which then we started responding, and I'm sitting there thinking, you're texting in church, bro. You're like having this conversation. Hey, let's talk. Let's be accountable. Like, oh, yeah, all kinds. Of, anyway, but that happened. Well, why? where was Joe going to church? Joe was going to church at a place called Emmanuel Baptist in Duncan, Oklahoma. And the youth pastor there was a guy named Billy Morgan. Joe's the one who invited me. Billy Morgan's the one who led me to Christ whenever I was a sophomore in, in high school. Well, how did Billy Morgan become a Christian? I texted Billy Morgan this morning also. I said, how'd you become a Christian? I, I knew it was out of manual, but I didn't know who. He goes, a guy named Dan Pruitt. Well, he led me to Jesus. I was at a revival. And I know Billy's story. He was a, he was a hellraiser. He was, he just was in all kinds of stuff. And God radically saved him. Billy was like the closest thing to like a conversion like the Apostle Paul that I'd ever seen. Got a hold of him. Saved him from a life of all kinds of just depravity. And he, he went forward at a revival. A guy by the name of Dan Pruitt led him to Jesus. Dan Pruitt was the pastor of that church. Dan Pruitt had a, a, a testimony very similar. He got saved later in life. And when Jesus got a hold of him, he got a hold of him. Dan and Billy picked up a hitchhiker one time between Velma and Duncan, Oklahoma. That hitchhiker was scratching the walls of that Bronco trying to get out of the car because they were just on him about, is he a Christian? That guy couldn't wait. He like, like dropped me off in the middle of nowhere. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But he couldn't because they had the doors locked and Dan was driving. Dan was like determined, like, this guy's going to get saved before I get him out of this car. Well, how did Emmanuel Baptist Church get started? From a guy by the name of J.W. Wade, who literally rode horseback, was a circuit-riding preacher, and planted that church in Stevens County, Oklahoma. The reason I say all this is because who told you about Jesus? Your lineage, your you're, you owe it to a host of people that goes all the way back to a little town in the Middle East called Jerusalem. It goes all the way back there. Someone told someone who told someone who told someone who told someone and it made its way across the pond and came here to America and it made its way all the way out here to the West. Someone told someone who told you. And guess what? You're supposed to tell someone also. We see it right here in the text. And when I say, what, well, how, what do you mean we see it right here in the text? Because he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Well, who was Timothy? Timothy was a young man that God had saved. His mom was a believer. His dad wasn't. His dad was a Gentile. He worshipped a whole host of different things and didn't really belong to any of them. But his mom and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, were told elsewhere in the Scripture they were believers. And they passed that faith on to this little boy. And this little boy met 
Tim met Paul on one of Paul's missionary journeys that Paul was commissioned to by the will of God as an apostle. And then he comes back around there on a subsequent trip and he sees the growth and the development and the, the maturation of this young man named Timothy. And Paul's thinking, that guy could help me in my missionary endeavors. That guy could probably plant a church one day. That guy could be of great use to the kingdom of God. And so he asked Timothy to follow him. And Timothy said, yeah, I'll go. Goes and asks Lois and Eunice, Mom, can I go? Yeah, go, get after it. And takes him and starts just pouring into him along everywhere that he went. He passed that faith along. Long story short, Timothy becomes the pastor of a church in Ephesus. You might recognize that name. Ephesus was the destination of another letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And later, toward the end of Paul's life, he wrote two other pastoral epistles, not the wives of the apostles, pastoral letters, to Timothy, first and second Timothy. Passing faith along. So who told you about Jesus? Who invited you to church? You ought to text or call them today and tell them thank you. You ought to do the same thing that I did with Joe Luna and Billy Morgan and talk about how your life is different because someone exercised a little bit of faith and invited you to church or explained to you the gospel. Someone told you, you didn't come to that on your own. Faith is meant to be passed down. So put that on your to-do list today. Now, so that's what we mean by apostle. What, do, what does Paul mean by our brother? Because he says, I'm an apostle and also Timothy, our brother. Well, it's the idea that when you, come in, when you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God. And we're brothers and sisters. We're, we're, we're part of the family of God. The word brother, it, it can mean, uh, it, most of the time it meant like a male believer, but there are times that it kind of took on a, more of a universal idea, um, and it's used of any sibling regardless of gender. Any sibling in God's family. The idea that God is the father and that Jesus, our older brother, has come and made a way for us to be adopted into the family of God. So who are you? We, we've talked about who are, are you dis, or who, who discipled you or who invited you, who explained the gospel to you, but how, where is that going to go forward? How does that get passed on? Who are you discipling? Who are you passing that on to? See, Paul passed it on to whoever he could find in whatever jail he found himself in. And Timothy was one of them. I was, there's a um, member of our church just in the last month um, that we've been in conversation with said, man, pray for my friend. She's so close to believing. She's got a lot of different questions and I'm getting coffee with her and I'm, you know, how do I, you know, what should I say? What should I do? How, you know, and so I've been praying for this member of our church and their friend. And just yesterday, got another text. I just had coffee with her. She's, she's getting more, but she still has lots of questions, but but man, pray, and my prayer is like, Jesus, save her friend. I've never met her. 
But it doesn't mean that I don't care a lot about her eternity. Because the gospel is going forward. Here, you say, well, what can I, if I have a friend that, that they're, you know, they, they've come to church or they're not really ready to come to church yet or they're not a believer, they're kind of skeptical, what, what are some, besides inviting them, besides explaining the gospel to them, what are some other things that I can do? Here's what I would, this is what I've done. Um, I was discipling two guys this morning out there on, around a picnic table um, that and it started with both of those guys, Jim and Greg, started with both of these guys this way. I asked them to read the gospel of Mark. Just read the gospel of Mark with me. Just expose them to the life and work of Jesus. Just trust that, if, that God's word will go out and accomplish that which he has purposed for it to do. Just get them introduced to Jesus and see what Jesus does. And I, I, I got to tell you, when I've done that, most of the time, it, it results in them trusting and following Jesus. It worked with Bob, it worked with Greg, it worked with Jim. That's, what, that's my method. I don't know what your method is ought to be, but, I, but just have a method. Use the Gospel of Mark. It's like 15 chapters. It'll take you like a week, two weeks to do it. You know, do that. Ask them to read through the Gospel of Mark with you. Meet daily or weekly to discuss what they're learning. And then just at some point say, you want to follow Jesus? Do you trust and believe in who he is? So, that's who wrote the, who wrote the letter. Paul and Timothy. Number two, who is it written to? Well, tells us in the text, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And that's kind of where we want to look at today. In Christ at Colossae. Now, I realize that we don't live in Colossae. We live in Phoenix. Specifically, we live in the Northwest Valley. More specifically, we live in neighborhoods. So what I want you to take today is the idea that you're supposed to be in Christ in your hood. In Christ in your hood. Now, I don't know where your hood now. I know some of y'all are thinking, wait a minute, hood, I live in the suburbs. I know, we, we got to get a little bit street to talk about it a little bit. But I mean, you know, because we are, we're in the suburbs. It ain't like there's a whole lot of like pressing issues for us. It's not like we're like battling, battling poverty and all kinds of, we, we live in the suburbs. I get that. But still, that's my block. I live in Park Paseo. And my responsibility as a Christian is to represent Christ to those people on my block, in my neighborhood. And by God's grace, he's allowed Lori and I and our kids to do that. He's allowed us to have them into our home and to us go into their home and to have conversations across the street and across the fence. I got to tell you this, uh, we, got, we got these one neighbors, they are the, they are the craziest uh, family. It's a mom and two daughters, and it's, it's just, it's funny. They, like, they have like a, a, a bell that they come and ring every once in a while, and that bell means I got to go get them a beer. That's the kind of relationships I got with my neighbors. I don't know what to tell you, you know, it's like, and, and they have been like, like second aunts and uncles. And, and, and grandmothers to our kids. Because we didn't know what, I mean, when we moved out here, we didn't know what, I mean, Easter, Christmas Eve, all, Fourth of July, all those things that we used to have with our family back in Oklahoma, that those were just set days that you had. We don't have that anymore. And these, not by our request, just by God's grace, 
they they like give graduation cards and they like they they like bring chocolate bunnies for Easter for like my kids that I eat sometimes. I mean, it's just like God's provision, grace and peace like to us. And we have we have had the best time with those neighbors. Well, this was written to the saints in Colossae, a place that Paul had never been. A place that Paul had never been. So when it says saint, what does the Bible mean when it uses the uses the word saint what does Paul refer to here when he uses the word saint because I realize that a lot of us may come from like a Catholic background and that means something totally different like there are like markers that you have to have to be like to be considered a saint and we have the word sainthood and stuff like that you need to understand that when Paul uses this word that's not what he means at all when he uses the word saint He's referring to a holy one, someone who is set apart. And in Paul's theology, anyone that has trusted in Christ, that has put their faith and their hope and their belief in the Son of God, who died on the cross for their sin, who rose from the grave for their justification, has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of God, is going to come back one day to judge the living and the dead, Anyone that has put their faith and hope in Him and is a follower of Jesus is a saint. It's not like this hierarchy. It's not like you have to perform X amount of miracles and have to have been dead for 150 years or whatever it is. It ain't like that. These people aren't dead. They haven't performed that many miracles. And Paul calls them saints. And so by the authority of the Word of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are, in Paul's estimation, a saint. But we typically don't use those words. We, use, we usually use like those words to define like our grandma. Oh, she was a saint. Right? Now, some of us, we can't say that about our grandma because she wasn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> but... Lest we go down that road. That was not in my notes. I went off script right there, okay? I went off script. But it's a holy one, someone who's set apart, someone that God has taken, and literally it means morally pure. And you say, wait a minute. Hold on. Because then when, I, when you're sitting there thinking, like, wait a minute, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm a saint, and that word means morally pure? Yeah. And this conversation's going on in your head right now saying, <laughs> I know what I've done. I'm not morally pure. How in the world can you be sitting there telling me that I'm a saint? Because it's not about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to you. And as soon as you believe in Christ, all of His credit, all of His goodness, all of His perfection, all of His right standing with God, bam, yours. That's how God sees you. You are a saint set apart, called out of death and into life. That's who you are. And so Paul, even though he's never met these people, he is writing to them and he calls them saints. You say, well, why is Paul writing to these people when he's never even met them? What's the connection? Glad you asked. There is a little guy that has a big name. Later on, he's going to be mentioned in this book and his name is Epaphras. Now, there's a video that I shared on my Facebook page they pronounce it differently. They call it Epaphras. 
I don't like the way that that sounds. I don't like the way that rolls off my tongue. I prefer my Oklahoma, my Oklahoma, see, out. That's a real bad accent when it's Oklahoma. When it's Oklahoma, I prefer my Oklahoma accent that says Epaphras. It's the way I've always said it. It's the way I'm going to continue to say it. And I ain't going to say it differently, anyway, anyhow. I don't care what you say. I don't care what Google tells me to say. I'm going to call it Epaphras, okay? So Epaphras was a disciple of Paul. And while Paul was in jail and couldn't go any further, Epaphras wasn't in jail. And Epaphras said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go take the gospel to this town called Colossae. And he did. And there was a church that got started there. And then Epaphras comes back to Paul in prison, says, hey, that gospel stuff works. There's some people down the road that got saved. And like they're gathering up and they're like worshiping. And Paul's like, that's awesome. Take this with you next time you go. And he did. And that's why we got this book of Colossians. So, that's a saint. Epaphras is a saint. He carries the gospel to Colossians, to some people who weren't saints, and he lets the gospel loose on them, and God makes them saints, because that's how God does it through the gospel. People believe, and then they become saints. And then you say, well, why does, call, why does Paul call them brothers? He's never even met these people. Listen, if you are a Christian... You are brothers and sisters with a whole lot of people that you've never met. And one of these days, whenever you go to heaven, it's going to be a family reunion. It's going to be awesome. Like, you, like here's one of the things that, like, Ancestry.com has happened. Like, you find, like, sometimes it's a good thing. You find out about your history, and then all of a sudden you find out, oh, I've got a brother I don't know about. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. And you're, some of you are like, like, I don't know if I should laugh at that or not. You can. It's fine. But in heaven... <laughs> Like, you need to understand that the church is a lot bigger than just this little gathering right here. And praise God for it. You have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the planet. And you're going to continue to have more because the gospel is going to continue to go out. And there's going to be more and more brothers and sisters that are adopted into this family called the church. And then he calls them faithful. Well, what does faithful mean? How does he know they're faithful? They're, they're believing in Christ. They're following Jesus, despite the fact that it's kind of hard. You say, well, why is it hard? Well, there's two, there's two things. There's two things that are, that are kind of warring against, that, that the church there is being tempted with. Most of the Christians in this church, and this moves us into the third um, section, third question. What's it for? What is this letter for? It's so that those believers would be formed in Christ in that specific location, that they would grow in maturity and that the church would continue to grow and develop and more and more people would be saved as a result of those people's faithful following of Jesus. The church in Colossae was young and it faced temptation on two different fronts. On the one hand, most of them were from a Gentile or a non-Jewish background. And what that meant was, is that if you're not from a Jewish background, that meant that you worshipped all kinds of gods. The Greek pantheon of gods. And you had that kind of a background. And, and we see this in like passages in Colossians, like Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-10, through 10, where Paul writes, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly, in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 
he's writing to that background that they have that many of them would have been tempted to go back into. Just like you and I, we're tempted to go back into our old ways of life that we enjoyed before Jesus saved us. And he's called us out of that. Look what he says. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of our Creator. See, he's, he's bringing them out of that pagan concept, saying, no, there's one God, one Creator, in whose image you have been made. You were called to something so much more than that. But on the other hand, they were well aware of Judaism, monotheistic Judaism. And there were false teachers in Colossae that were jealous of the gospel movement who were telling some of them in the church that they must adhere to Jewish moral code and rituals and prayers and festivals. And the Jewish moral code wasn't bad to follow. That's, that's still upheld. But Paul is saying, listen, it's not about circumcision anymore. It's not about going to the temple anymore. You don't have to go and be cleansed and, and have to get into that temple and perform all of those rituals and all those ceremonies because Christ has already accomplished all of that for you. Any sacrifice that you try to offer Him and on top of what he, Christ has already offered, is, is, it's going to pollute it. Don't, you don't have to do that. But there were some false teachers that were saying, oh, no, no, before you become, before you were a Gentile, you were dirty, you were outside, you were unclean. Before you come to Christ, you've got to go through this, you've got to go through Judaism. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. The veil of the temple was ripped. You don't have, you don't have to do that anymore. It, it, it's unnecessary. We see it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He's saying, don't, don't have to live underneath that judgment of the false teachers and the Judaism that they're trying to get you to adhere to. You don't have to do that. Giving in to either of those temptations to become more pagan, to go back into your old life, or to start adding to the gospel with the false teaching of Judaism, adding to either one of those would derail the mission of God for the town of Colossae. You wouldn't be accurately representing Christ. And giving in to either of those temptations for us today will derail the mission of God for your neighborhood as well. So this letter is written for the saints and the brothers in Christ at Colossae. And this series for us is going to be for us in Christ in Park Paseo or Arrowhead Ranch or Fletcher Heights or Arrowwood or Eagle Preserve or Deer Village or the Pines or Pleasant Hills or Country Hills. A lot of hills. Or Chaparral West. It's you being formed in Christ in your neighborhood. So that, and 
and not giving in to the law, not giving in to licentiousness, so that you can represent Christ well in your neighborhood and move forward the mission of God. God has sovereignly placed you in your house. You did not wind up there by accident. I don't care whether you're living in a townhouse, if you're living in a 5,000 square foot house, or if you're living in somebody's closet. You are there by sovereign design and decree. You're not there by mistake. You are there by sovereign decree. He has placed you there to live out the mission of God in your neighborhood. So, with all of that said, this is the book of Colossians. And I want to give you four invitations today, okay? Number one, if you're not a Christian, maybe you've been coming here for a little while, you've been um, thinking about this, you've been listening to the gospel, it's been working on you. But if in your heart of hearts, if, if we were to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? You'd have to say, I don't think so. I want you to know that you don't have to stay that way. You may have come in here not a follower of Jesus, but you don't have to leave that way. You can become a follower of Jesus today by simply owning that you're a sinner, admitting that you're a sinner, putting your faith and hope and trust not in your own works, not in your ability to keep the law, not in your ability or, or, or your identity and anything else, but, but saying, Jesus, if you'll, if you'll have me, you can have me. If you'll forgive me, I want you to. And on the authority of God's word, he wants to. He wants to save. His arm is mighty to save. There is no, you are not so far gone that he cannot reach you. You are not so broken that he can't restore you. You are not so lost that he can't find you. You are not beyond the reach of God. You can be converted. You can become a Christian today. And we want to ask you to just simply pray, Jesus, if you want, would you save me? The Bible says that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You can become a Christian today, just like Paul did, just like Timothy did, just like Epaphras did, just like Billy Morgan did, just like Joe Luna did, and just like Cody Devers did on a hot August night in Duncan, Oklahoma. The resurrected Christ spoke to me and saved me. And he can do that this morning here in Phoenix. He is not a respecter of regions. So we would ask you to receive Christ today. Number two, you say, I'm not ready yet, but I would be interested in a conversation. I'm not ready to convert yet, but I'm interested in a conversation that I would say, read through the Gospel of Mark, either with me or with somebody who brought you. Be willing to just... Get to know the person and work of Jesus. Number three, if you say, I'm a Christian, then we would invite you to come and take communion. To come back and, and remember that your identity is in Christ. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. And that's, that, we remember that through communion. Through the perfect life that he lived represented in that little cracker. Through the perfect blood that he shed on, shed on the cross for us represented in that juice. And we're like, my identity is in Christ. It's not in my power. It's not in my influence. It's not in my orientation. It's not in any of those things. My identity is in Christ. First and foremost, I am a Christian. And then we would ask you to sing 
with us. To sing with the congregation. Sing because you believe. Sing until you believe. And sing so that your friends can know what you believe. So I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do any of those things. If you become a Christian today, don't leave here without telling me. Find me in the lobby. Come on the front and find me and tell me. If you want to have a conversation, don't leave here today without coming and let me know. Or let somebody at the info table know. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us. God, we pray that you would save our friends. God, that you would help us to be in you, in our neighborhoods. That we would not derail the mission that you have for us in our neighborhoods. That we would push the mission forward. Thank you for placing us where we are. God, may our friends and family believe. May, be, may we be like the Epaphrases of Colossae for our different neighborhoods. God, you've sent us. We're not apostles, but God, we are sent by you, decreed, placed, so that your mission can go forward and so that you can save your people. God, would you do that? We ask it in Jesus' good, good name. For you reign supreme over all. Amen.